2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 10. The joy and the sorrow of ministry. We'll pray and then read these 10 verses. Father, we come before your throne, the author, the finisher. Lord, as we look at our brother Paul here, may may we understand that the same spirit which overwhelmed him is the same spirit in each of us who are truly saved this day. Father, let us never settle for second, for human effort. Father, let us see the magnificent glory of our Savior, of your Spirit, and you working in earthen vessels to be representatives of your kingdom, to your praise and to your glory. Father, may each of us who are here this day decrease as, Father, you increase in us, that we may manifest the amazement of the King of kings and Lord of lords. To your praise, to your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 1, chapter 6, and working together with him, we also urge you, Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance in affliction, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, and in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. In the word of truth, the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing. All things. The key that we're looking at in this this part of the power is that we are commending ourselves in much endurance because we are servants of God. And we understand that because we have the privilege of working with Him. We also understand that, that we do not want the grace of God to be in vain, for the day of salvation is now, and He will help. But as we look at this, we're seeing the power. And when he says much endurance, that's the only one that's singular in this section. And it is much endurance that he lists all of these things. And you can break it up. There's three groups of threes and they're negatives. And then there's three groups of threes, which are positives. Sometimes I believe it's easier to endure the negative 
than it is to endure the positive. Also understand what he's saying here. He said there's much endurance. Much endurance. And it's written in a way that says, in spite of what is happening, I stand triumphant. Okay? Because I've seen people who endure. Okay? But you pray that whatever they're going through, you don't ever have to see. Because it just doesn't look that well. We've seen that there will be much endurance in afflictions. And that's just what it means. It is physical anguish and pain. We've seen that there is much endurance in hardships. In hardships. This is an everyday grind of stuff. Uh, have you noticed it? Is it just me? Or does it seem like everything is harder to do now? I, I mean, it's like I can't get anything done simple. Right? I mean, it's just... It's just one thing after the next thing. This phone call pushed five. Then this guy and let's meet this person. And it's just like, is there anything? Can I just go down? It's like light bulbs. I just want a light bulb. Well, would you like this? It's just a light bulb. Tell you what. Got any candles? Okay. Because there's times that you just look at it and you think, this is nuts. I I work on motorcycles. And it is amazing on how you can take one year motorcycle and they change so much in six months. And I mean, nothing matches. I thought that was just in plumbing products. But that's hardships. It's just like, there's nothing simple anymore. Everything is complicated. There's also distresses. And it literally means that I'm in a place that I can't even turn around. There is no comfort, there is no rest in that place. Tumults. That's rioting. Mob violence. But in all of these, Paul is saying, in much endurance. You want commendation? You want to be commended? Would you like an attaboy? Then endure much. Hardship. Distresses. Rioting. And then some of us could be self-sacrifice. That second section there. In labors. Working yourself weary. Endure much. Working yourself weary. Endure much in sleeplessness. In sleeplessness. Endure it. Much of it. Why? You want an attaboy. Then that's what you got to do. And in hunger. I remember one time, I I don't know what it is like to be in a position where you can't get food. I do remember one time that I was preaching in this little bitty village in Russia someplace. I don't know where it was. And the church in Russia, after every worship service, you got to understand, their worship services are usually about three to three and a half hours long. Okay, now I want to share that with you because they only sing one song in the beginning and one song at the conclusion. And what they usually do, sometimes um, they will have multiple preaching. But when they're done, they have dinner together. I remember this lady made this crab salad. I mean, just looking at it was like, wow, that is awesome. I mean, this wasn't, you know, imitation crab, codfish that 
painted like a crab or whatever. I don't know how to, what that means. I thought you'd just call it codfish. But no, this is imitation crab. Does that mean it's rubber? But anyway, this was crab meat. You could see it. Ah, uh, to die for. I ate that down. We were blessed. We took off headed back toward town. We weren't outside of this little village by about maybe a kilometer. And the crab salad attacked. Dude, I didn't know whether I was going to blow up, <laughs> needed to blow up or whatever. But by the time I got to the back to my room, I was a hurting puppy. And then it dawned on me. You're 300 miles south of Moscow eating seafood. Really? What was you thinking? <laughs> I mean, do you know how far that crab had to walk across the dirt to get to that place? That's the closest thing to hunger because I was wanting to die from eating. I don't want to do this. I'm going to fast. I got it, Lord. Got it. No problem. And I can honestly say that ride home, there's about 19 of us packed in a car smaller than a Hugo. You think I'm kidding. It's called a lot of. <laughs> and there's not a lot of room. Um, we were jammed in there like this, and my guts felt like they were going to just come out my belly button. And uh, part of me was encouraging it. <laughs> Hurry. Leave the container. And all I can think of was, there is some much enduring here. Because you're packed in here with a bunch of sweaty Russians, and they're just jabbering away, and you are clueless of what they're saying. But you know you're going to die. <laughs> but you figure they like you enough to pack you up in a bag and send you back to the States. But there was times that the Apostle Paul was taking the gospel to places where there wasn't food. And with much endurance, he did that. Now I want to go back into three groups of three. Um, I'm only going to get through two groups because I want to spend two Sundays on the positives. Because what I've noticed in my life, and what I see sometimes, is that we take great pride in our sufferings for Christ. It's almost like we boast in it. I noticed that when I first went my first few trips to Russia is that the guys who came out of communism boasted on the suffering that they went through. And it was like this badge. Uh, you know, I was arrested this many times. I was beaten this many times. Uh, I, you know, these things happened to me. I was arrested in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, whatever, guys had their fingers cut off. And, and it was almost like this. And the guys who were coming to salvation after the collapse of socialism um, were considered second-class preachers. Though, if you listen to those guys, you realize that they had a better handle on the totality of Scripture than the guys who had come out of the, so, the communist state. And the reason is, a lot of the guys under the communist states, they didn't have the complete Scriptures. Uh, a guy preached for 20-some years, Luke. Why? That was all he had. Okay, and because I remember him telling me that the greatest thing that he had found was that we'd been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Because I asked him, since freedom is here, what is that great? That's it. I was like, wait a minute. That's Ephesians. He says, I didn't know there was a letter to the church in Ephesus. And you're like, wow. All right. So... We take greater emphasis on the negatives 
Okay, you know, we, we hear about those who were martyred for the gospel and they're, uh, they're martyrs. They're, they're great Christians. And I don't want to downplay that. But what do you do with much enduring? Because he doesn't change the topic. He's still coming out of this saying we are commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, much endurance. Okay, and he goes through, we went through the negatives, but then look what he does in verse 6. Okay, again, three groups of threes. Um, And what I see here is what I call God's grace on the other side of enduring. Okay, because some of these things, you're going to at first thought, Say, well, there's no enduring in that. And the truth of the matter is, there is. All right? Do we as Christians today, okay, I, I don't want to think about third world countries. I don't want to think about anything like that. I want, to, I want to talk to each and every one of you right now. Do you recognize the righteousness that God has granted each and every one of His children. Because I hate to break the news to you, your life reflects it. Alright? He says here, in much endurance, keep that in mind, in much endurance in purity. Okay, now we're going to the positives, the positive side. Do you know what the word purity means? Because I guarantee you I could take this room and, and say, define for me purity. And I would probably not get two answers the same. Okay, so let me tell you what the Greek word means. Okay, now remember this. In much endurance, in purity. The word means freedom from all fleshly stain. That takes some endurance if you think about it. I uh, was working on a battery yesterday. Um, a new battery for a motor, it's a real old motorcycle. So it's a new battery for an old motorcycle. And they're not like the batteries that you, you get today. You just put them together. You have to load the acid in it. Okay, which is an interesting concept if you really think about it. You want me to what? And so you got this big bottle. It's got a little bitty straw thing at the end of it. And you pull up and all the caps, take your little flashlight. Yeah, they're all empty. You'll make sure ain't nothing in there. And you start squirting. And then you squirt. And then you squirt. And then you squirt. And then you squirt. you're like, <clears throat> come on. <laughs> and you look back in that first cell. I don't see no fluid yet. <laughs> I'm squirt. Then it's squirting. And, you know, you do this for about five or ten minutes holding this battery of acid. It's got poisonous, corrosive, dying, burning, and everything else on the outside of it. And you're looking at it going, I wish this is already up. And then you find yourself, if I squeeze this bottle, I bet it goes in there faster. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Don't ever do that. Okay, because I no more squeezed it the first time, it just blew back in my face. 
And I got a little spot right here. I got a spot on my knuckle where it got me and all the rest of it. And I'm sitting there going, well, it was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's got all these warnings, a little fixture hand with a groove in it and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking it's a squirt gun. <laughs> so when I thought about that, I thought when it got on me, and of course burnt this big thing on my workbench, and, and you know, it didn't, uh, I do have an ink pen that is absolutely useless now. It's, and it's kind of stuck to my workbench. Um, I had some thoughts that went through my head, okay, that were not fleshly stained, <laughs> okay? Because part of it is, is that you were stupid enough to do that. You were stupid enough to be burned, fool, okay? Because I kept thinking that it got me right here, and I kept thinking, ah. I'll have to have like half a beard tomorrow, <laughs> you know, because I was afraid if I got into the shower, whoosh, look, it all just fell off. <laughs> so come in clean shaven and try to explain it to everybody. Well, I burnt this half off. And I decided to shave this half. When I look at this in positive endurance, this is the top of the list. And I believe that it's there for a reason. I believe that the spirit of God put it there. And he did it because he wanted the purity of life. And you had to endure through that. Because I hate to break the news to you. Even if you're not trying to fill acid into a battery, it's hard. And it takes much endurance to keep from having fleshly stains. Really? Paul lived a pure life. He had no blame, had no shame. And he endured it. There was much. And if you think about it, and the thing that I would encourage each of you, you can sit and say, well, dude, you wasn't with me this morning. Because I don't know about you, but I remember when our kids were little and you're trying to get your kids up to go to church on Sunday and this was going wrong and he's trying to get some breakfast and he's trying to figure out what the weather was and you spill the coffee on you and it, cold water's in the shower now and all these other things are going on. And all of a sudden the purity of life is just really gone. Okay. It just, whoa, we ain't having much here. <laughs> and yet, when you think about it, the Apostle Paul lived a pure life. My question is, what is it going to be at the conclusion? Will you have purity in your life at your conclusion? When you can look at me and say, you can't blame me, and there is nothing here to shame. I mean, people are going to make accusations. Okay, do not think it's beyond them to lie. They lied at the trial of Jesus. Okay, but the truth of the matter is, you know whether there's anything out there that is a fleshly stain. The Apostle Paul, he endured much. He commended himself to all who would see as a servant of God because of the purity of his life and the purity of his life he carried to the end. Next thing, see here, in knowledge, much endurance in knowledge. The knowledge here is the understanding of divine things. Much endurance in understanding the divine things. Okay, I have watched, and um, I hope you understand, listen to the whole thing before I get done. Um, One of the dangers that I've seen in the church are study Bibles. 
Okay, now, now listen, easy, listen to the whole thing. You have to understand that the footnotes are written by a man. Some man saying, this is what this means. Okay, right? And one of the things that I've watched is, is as the flourishing of study Bibles, that people know what the, the footnote says, but they don't know what the text says. And I have watched people get into these nasty arguments over the footnote. And my response has always been the same. What does the text say? Now listen, I have study Bibles. Okay? Uh, several study Bibles. And, and that's not what I'm against. The question is... Don't put as much emphasis on the footnote as you do what the text says. Because, um, you know, you guys know that I like John MacArthur. All right. But I've read a couple of his and you'll have a little space about like this at the top of the page and two columns. That is the text and the rest of it's footnotes. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. If I wanted all of them footnotes, I'll get a commentary. Okay, I'd rather have the word. All right, and now, I, I, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I've watched is, is that we will take divine knowledge on how well have I memorized the footnotes. Well, what if the guy's wrong? Now what are you going to do? Now, don't try to say, well, are you saying MacArthur's wrong? No, that's not what I said. It's not what I said. But I've watched sometimes that we take and put too much emphasis on the on the footnote instead of saying, but what does the word of God? You understand that the average Christian, even sub-average Christian, has the author of scripture indwelling them? Now, it may take your ego getting out of the way to get through, but it's still the same thing. So it's a knowledge of understanding divine things because we have to, as the church, be committed to divine doctrine. We have to be committed to sound doctrine. All right, because I remember young in my ministry that, that people would tell me that, well, doctrine divides. And I thought, well, that makes sense. You know, you got the Methodists, you got the Presbyterians, you got this. But the more I studied it, I said, no, doctrine unites. If you're willing to reason together with Scripture. That's the issue. The actual term that you'll see in your Bible called sound doctrine is the word we get hygiene from. Clean doctrine. See, it, it comes and, it, and, it, and it's this growing thing as I take in Scripture, as I take in doctrine. You start grasping God's redeeming cause. You start grasping His purposes. You start grasping why He redeemed us. You start understanding sinful man. You start understanding false systems. You start understanding false teachers. You know what they're about. You know why they do it. But you only get that because now you are enduring in knowledge. Much endurance in knowledge. You start understanding 
What are the strategies of our adversary? What are the strategies of Satan? You know, they're nothing like Hollywood projects them. Please understand that. Then people embarrass Satan. Because he's a humanist. That's his religion. But you don't understand that. Most of the people say it was Satanism and, you know, it's them pentagrams and goats and upside down crosses and stuff like that. That ain't what he's messing with. Ain't got nothing to do with it. He's in the pulpit. He's in the seminaries. That's where he's at. Why? Because that's where he can be the most deceptive. He's going to lay enough truth alongside the lie that you'll buy it. But if I endure much endurance in knowledge, the understanding of divine things, good to go. Good to go. See, it's, it's like today. If you had to define effective ministry, how would you define it? You go look at the church today and you can see what they are defining as effective ministry. Numbers. You're effective if you reach huge numbers. That's effective. Really? Then Jesus was a failure. I mean, three years walking on water, raising the dead, creating food, healing every disease, stopping storms and a few other odds and ends. And their conclusion was crucify him. Well, there is brilliance. Because I can tell you right now, if you're looking for numbers, you're not going to beat the Broncos. You ain't going to get 76,000 people in church. Well, maybe if you charge $100 a ticket. I don't know, but you see what I'm trying to do? But you look at what we're trying to do in the body of Christ today, what we classify as effective ministry. This is successful ministry. It's not biblical. When I got saved, the thing was is to make converts. You know, say the sinner's prayer, read the Gospel of John, get baptized. That was successful. But you know what? Nowhere in my Bible does it say I'm supposed to make converts. My great commission is to make disciples. Make learners, which goes back to knowledge. If you're going to make a disciple, it would be really nice to have something to give them. What am I going to teach them? What is discipling? What is evangelism? See, that is with much endurance you get from knowledge. See, Paul understood this. You know what's amazing about Paul? He understood this. He understood the sinfulness of man. He understood the enemy's despise for the gospel. He understood humans' despise of the gospel. He understood it emphatically. And you know what's amazing? He never wavered. He never blinked. He never stopped to the day he died. He was never deceived by any error. He never bought any system or methodology. He was not tossed by the wind because he endured in knowledge. 
He had no new trends. He had no new methods. He had no new systems. He had sound doctrine. And he stayed there. And he endured much. He had a clear understanding of truth. And you know what is the cool thing about truth? Once you grasp it, you can't alter it. And if that happens, if you've got a handle on the truth and it can't be altered, then guess what? You can't be altered. It's really not that complicated if you think about it. And yet I watch people bouncing around from church to church to ministry to ministry. Why? They have no understanding of sound doctrine. And they buy anything that comes down the pike. Well, it's got to be of God. Look at all the people. It's got to be of God. The music made the hair stand up on my neck. You know, this guy's got a book out. It's got to be of God. I've seen him on TV. It's got to be of God. He's got a radio program. It's got to be of God. But see, if you understand sound doctrine, clean doctrine, hygienic words, you don't get tossed around by it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Why? You can't move me. You can't alter me. Why? I'm standing in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it takes much endurance. But it's a positive thing. It's a positive thing. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, it says that Paul was unimpressive. They said that he was contemptible in his speaking. I was sharing in my Sunday school class this morning. A few years ago, I was in Memphis, and uh, uh, one of the speakers there was a guy named D.A. Carson. Um, uh, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this guy preached with power. He had passion. And, and you, you, this man is a student of the Word. So uh, one of my trips to Russia, I decided I was going to get one of his books. There was a thing on the emergent church, and I thought I'd get that. And it's D.A. Carson. So I started reading that. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> this has got to be two different guys. <laughs> I heard this guy talk. I don't know what this is. Because you could read a paragraph and just sit back and go, Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Okay. But that's the difference between the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom. Okay, knowledge has all of the information. But sometimes it'll just bore you to tears. It's like, I'd give anything to hear Arthur Pink speak. Okay? But I've read him. Whoa, what was that? And why did you sit down and think about it? Okay? But I share that with you because that knowledge is the soundness of word. And when you bring the word of God to bear on it and you yourself have much endurance in the knowledge of the divine things, then the divine things become exceptionally clear and you can start cutting through all of the stuff that is out there. Have clear understanding of truth, and you can never be altered. They said Paul was unimpressive. Paul, they said Paul had contemptible speaking. He was unskilled in speech. But they said, you know what? But his knowledge is fine. But let me ask you a question: Did the apostle Paul have an effective ministry? 
You know what? If you think about it, you know what a foghorn is? Okay? And when it's being utilized, a foghorn, right? It's effective. Is it not? But I wouldn't say, well, that's a cherishing melody that I hear. It sounds like a foghorn. But it's effective. Right? Truth of the matter is, what is a preacher? <laughs> foghorn. Isn't that true? I'm trying to explain to you. There's rocks out there. You don't see them. You're going to run into them. So you have his sound knowledge of truth. And no matter what front they came at him, that truth protected him. So there's much endurance in purity. There's much endurance in knowledge. And then the next one is all of our favorite. (laughs) Much endurance in patience. Patience. This word in the original language literally means a tolerance with people. Now, does anybody really want to argue with me that people will not try your patience? If I, if you look in your life, each of you, okay, you have a circle of, of people in your life. Okay, your family is the closest, and then it goes out, co-workers. Uh, you may have outside family, aunts, uncles, cousins, and things like that. But you, if you look at it, you have people who are way out there that you know of, and they know of you, that are still in the circle of your life, right? Know this. I don't care where at in that circle you are. I don't care if that person standing right next to you is the most intimate person that is in your life. I guarantee you they will test your patience. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the milkman. Oh, we don't even have them no more. I don't care if it's the mailman. They will test your patience. Okay? You don't believe me. 12 o'clock tomorrow. Go to the post office here in Castle Rock. And go in and say, I just want to mail one letter. And I guarantee you, your patience will be tested by pure strangers. Listen, Paul dealt with all kinds of people. I have a list here of those I know Paul dealt with and some that I've had to deal with. Please do not try to figure out. I wonder if that one is Terry's. Okay. That ain't the reason I'm sharing this with you. Because I guarantee you, if you're willing to step into the gap and say, you know what? I'm an ambassador of Christ. I am a minister of reconciliation. People are going to test your patience. You're going to have to deal with people who are ignorant. Flat out ignorant. Not only some are ignorant, some are stupid. Some are sinful. Some are just hard-hearted. 
Some are weak at everything. Some are unruly. You could even run into a bumper crop of judgmental ones. Some are critical. Some are complainers. Some are narrow-minded. Some are hostile. Some are stinking deadly. Some are corrupt. Some are faithless. Some are backstabbers. Some of them are the elite. Some of them are the poor. Some are the educated. Some are the uneducated. Some are moralists. Some are immoral. Some are faint-hearted. Some are stubborn. And yet, with much endurance, we are patient with all. Because... When you go back through this, you know in the end you must bring them the truth. I must bring the truth. You know, it's one of the things that I watch and, and, and that I've seen it's on a repetitive basis is that very few in the church today have a joy of just being here. Very few. Okay? And, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong, there's times through trials and tribulations and heartaches and, and the pains and the hardships of life and all the negative things that we have much endurance in that, you know what, I would just as soon be up in the clouds. Get me out of this. Okay, But do you understand the privilege of working with Him and the passion of knowing that the time of salvation is here now and He is here to help? And that you have power because you are an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you have been given a ministry of reconciliation to the dead and dying. And during that whole thing, you have to have patience with that list of people I just gave you. And I didn't even mention like selfishness. Or a few of the other ones that are out there. Right? I didn't even mention that. But you have to have patience with them. You have a tolerance of them. Why? You know that they still need the truth. And you know what? A lot of times, if they're not hostile, you give them the truth, they become hostile. But you still be patient with them. Now listen, I hate to break the news to you, brothers and sisters. That's not natural for us. Because we've all read it. I'm just going to dust to get the dust off my feet and wash my hands of these people. Burn. Burn, baby. And you walk away. And God, I hope that you run into them people that God chains them to your butt. Because they need the gospel as much as you ever did. And I'll ask you one simple question. Every single one of you. How patient is God with you? Just a question. Because we are spokesmen for His kingdom and we are representative of His gospel and we have the ministry of reconciliation that we were reconciled with God and therefore He was patient enough to wait on us to be drawn to Him, to be sanctified by Him, to be made holy before His sight. And now it is your responsibility to take that same message to everybody that comes along, the ignorant, the stupid, the elite, the poor, and down the list. Paul was never exasper, exasperated enough 
that he set aside truth to walk away from it. He, with much endurance, he endured those who caused him personal pain and even physical pain. They broke his heart. And some stoned him. Those who grieved him, those who broke him, he endured. And he was patient with all. Second group of three here. Kindness and the Holy Spirit and gentle love. Genuine love. Okay, kindness. Literally, the word means goodness in action. Goodness in action. He did good to people. Now, we do that. I tell people that I'm a pastor. They want to help me out. Okay? But what do you do with the one who's sort of annoying? I mean, we had a family in this church from years ago. And it seemed like every other month they moved. Okay? And, you know, sometimes they'd move to an apartment that was on the ground floor and that wasn't so bad. And then they'd move to this fourth floor. Then they'd move to ground floor and all, and all these other things. And I kept thinking, you know, and of course, when they got ready to move, the church lined up to help, help them move. But I kept thinking, man... Land someplace. <laughs> if not, we're going to take up a love offer and get you a motor home. <laughs> you just you can park anywhere you want to park. Okay, but that's all they did is they moved. Been years ago. And I <laughs> and I kept thinking, you know, this kindness in action thing is <laughs> getting old. <laughs> all right, maybe you should get nothing but beanbag chairs. Okay. Paul did good no matter what they did to him, no matter how hard they were to him. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the Galatians were high on Paul's lift of making mad. He said this, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay? Paul had no end to his compassion. He had no end to his sympathy. And it didn't matter the person. Okay? Which brings me to the next one because you start looking at this, you're like, gee, many crickets. It's like I've, I've watched people who want to bear fruit of the Spirit and they get, I got fruit down, I got, I got love down, I'm working on some joy here, and it's peace, and ah, I've got to go back to love, and you never get it done. All right. He says, with much endurance in the Spirit. In the Spirit. He endured in the Spirit. This is the heart of this, people. Enduring in the Holy Spirit. Listen, enduring in the Holy Spirit is the reason all the rest of it's true. It's the reason all the rest of it works. You can't do this. Paul couldn't have done this without enduring in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, if you look at his life, he walked in the Spirit. He tells us what? Walk in the Spirit. He had the filling of the Spirit. You know what that means? It was his influence. What influenced him? Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're full of wine, what? Who's your influence? Alcohol. If you're filled with the Spirit, who's your influence? Spirit is. 
He had the filling of the Spirit. He had the fullness of the Spirit. He had the power of the Spirit. He had the comfort of the Spirit. He had the joy of the Spirit. He had the freedom of the Spirit. He understood these things. He embraced them. He adored them. He took his full rest and comfort there. He never grieved the Spirit. He never quenched the Spirit. He did not frustrate the Spirit. He bore fruit of the Spirit. It was manifested. You've seen it. He was walking in the Spirit. And because He was walking in the Spirit, it it enabled Him not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know one of the greatest lusts of the flesh is the easiest to spot? Rape. No. Selfishness. Selfishness. Show me one time in Scripture where Paul was selfish. Not only was he not selfish, he was extraordinarily sacrificial. And you can't do that on your own. I've watched people do it on their, their foreheads get wrinkled up, they get crow's feet in there, and they got hair starts growing out their ears, and they're just nasty human beings. But by all I'm going to do this. You've seen them. We've all been next to them. You're like, oh, gee. And you're sitting there doing this. Might be to their kid, their husband. I'm not saying it's women. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I've seen men do it. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Paul is one of the few people that I I know and have spent time with that the Word of Christ dwelled in him richly. It's because of the Spirit. The Spirit controlled him. In the Spirit, he worked. In the Spirit, he served. In the Spirit, he prayed. In the Spirit, he preached. In his life, he lived. He lived in the Spirit. Okay, which brings me to the next one. Interesting phrasing that the Apostle Paul uses here in the verse 6. In genuine love. Okay, now you, gotta, you, you keep all these things together because remember the knowledge thing? And the purity thing, in much endurance and purity, in much endurance in knowledge. Why, knowledge, Paul understood it, Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured in his heart by the Spirit of God. So he already knew it was there. You understand that you don't go out and manufacture this. Hello, please hear me. This is crucial. The love, genuine love, is the product of the ministry of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one? Okay. You know what's key about that? It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. It says fruit, one. What is it? Love. Out of love comes joy, peace, gentleness, happiness, all that other stuff. But you have to have that first one. You ain't got that first one. I don't care what you're doing. Genuine love. You walk in the spirits. You experience the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is love. Genuine love. Yes, it's the word agapon. Agape. Genuine. Okay. It is the love 
of sacrifice. Now, be real careful. Um, I heard a, a guy mention it one time, and it's just kind of stuck in my head. It is a love of the will. You got that? All right. Um, listen. Well, I hope I don't get in a lot of trouble here. It is not the love of attraction. If you get married, have gotten married, are wanting to get married, why are you wanting that? Why did you do that? It was not the love of the will. You can look at me and you can lie straight to me and say, yes, it was. And I'll smile at you and say, no, it wasn't. You got married because you had a love of attraction. And you wonder why the first 40 years of your marriage is so tough. Because the attraction wears off. Gravity takes hold. Well, it does. And now you have to get into a guffy. It has to be a love of the will. It is not a love of emotion. Because a love of emotion is in response. It is not a love of sensuality. It is not a love of affection. Love of the will. It is a love that wills to sacrifice. It's a decision that I made that I shall do this. It has nothing to do with attraction. Well, we we have so much in common. Do you realize what a dumb reason to get married or date somebody that is? Gee, many crickets. I like to hunt. I ain't going to marry another hunter. We have a lot in common. What's silly? It's not a thing based on devotion because genuine love, agapon, agape, there are no qualifiers. Nothing. It isn't you do it in response to something they did. That's a qualifier. It says, I do this because I am in much enduring in the spirit of God and the purity of God. Therefore, I am in the genuine love of God. And I do it with much endurance. You try to put patience out there without the Holy Spirit and genuine love, you will be an insanely miserable creature. Okay? I mean, you... Oh, And you know what? We'll all know it. Because you'll be sharing the joy. The Apostle Paul, when I think about him, he had friends that he loved. He had enemies that he loved. And you know what is one of the, the amazing to me about the Apostle Paul? He had people in the church he loved. And you know what is amazing about the Apostle Paul? He loved them unbounded, unlimited, without boundary, even if they turned on him. Because I've heard that. 
We've bought the psychobabble philosophical junk that's out there. Well, you know, you need to put a boundary on your love. Really? Can you tell me what the boundary of Christ's love was? What was the boundary? Where, where did it limit at? That's genuine love. And that's when they're mocking him. They're spitting him. They're beating him with whips. And he still loved them. That's amazing. What was his boundary? What was Paul's boundary? What boundary did he put out there? I will love you up to this point. No closer though, please. Matthew 5 says, you are to love your enemies. Now listen, I want to make you understand. He uses the word genuine here, and it has to do with non-hypocritical. There is no front. It's, uh, as a pastor, I've had uh, a time or two in my ministry um, conflicts with people. And I always love it when they come into my office, they, they make an appointment, and they say, I want to meet with you. All right. And when they walk in the, your office and they shut the door behind them and they smile at you, and they say, first and foremost, I want you to know I really love you. <laughs> I know what's next. <laughs> okay. You know what that is to me? It's a front. It's a mask. That's what literally genuine unmasked, unmasked love. Look at me. You love me? That's, that's amazing to me. It's simple to me. It's not a plastic smile. It is the love that without reservation, without qualification, without preempting, gives its life. Okay. Now, we would all sit around here and say, well, you know, I would lay my life down for you. Will you live for me? It's easy to go die for somebody. How about living for them? The joy to offer a life for the gospel. Does anybody feel positive yet? Much enduring here, brothers and sisters. Much enduring. Impurity. No stains of the flesh. In knowledge, divine truth. Impatient with all the wonderful people that God has on this planet. In kindness, acts of goodness. In the Holy Spirit, because I need a power source to do something that is not of my nature. And in genuine love. That everybody stands in awe of because they can't understand what it is. Okay, the final three that you see there. Word of truth, the power of God, the weapons of righteousness right in the left hand. Now, I'll just give you a little heads up on this one. We'll get into them next week because these are really good. These are really good. The Apostle Paul never, ever, ever sunk to human means. Okay? He never used 
earthly ways. He operated with the word of truth that was in revealed scripture. He operated only with the power of God. Only with the weapons of righteousness. No operation with any weapon of the flesh. Never did. Never did anything by human strength. Nor did he go beyond the pages of the revealed word of God. Paul brought, we should bring the word of God and the power of God in every aspect. Fighting with weapons of righteousness. Paul endured that with much endurance. He never relied on human strength. He never relied on fleshly weapons. And I'm going to deal with these more next week. A commendation to ministers. Remember that's how this started? The ones that endure to the very end with much endurance. They go through the negatives, the hostilities, the human, the supernatural, all enemies of the gospel. The positives, God's divine grace. Christ is seen and he is a faithful ambassador. Now remember what he said. We protect this with much endurance so that we may be commended to God. All right, so next week we'll look at the last three positives. Father, to your glory and praise, I praise you for bringing us this day. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul and and those men and women who have gone before us, those who are laboring even at this time and may be sleepless and hungry, uh, Father, that are working to the point of exhaustion, that, Father, you would give them much endurance. Help them, Lord. Help them to be overcomers. Help them stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we who gather here to worship in spirit and in truth, help us also be faithful ambassadors, faithful ministers of the ministry of reconciliation that you have laid before us in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of your word and the power of your spirit using these earthen vessels in purity in knowledge and patience and kindness in your spirit and in genuine love. Help us, Lord. I beg you that we may understand the tactics of our enemies and yet, Father, stand in the patience and the genuine love that Christ showed each and every one of us every day. To your glory and praise. Amen.